Thank you for choosing Electronic Audio Services by Hippie Pink Ferret. The tape deck is now accepting media. Please insert tape. Please insert tape. Please insert... Reviewing. Label identified. Dada or Nothing, Season 1, Episode 7. Interview with Revis, David. Playing preview. You're listening to Dada or Nothing, a variety show about the visual and performing arts presented by Hippie Pink Ferret. I'm your host, Jojo, and this week we're conducting an interview. Please input your member PIN number to unlock this content. It's great to have you back. Launching record. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dada or Nothing. I'm still Jojo. Today in the studio, via the magic of remote recording, we have David Rivas. Hi, David. Hi. Me and David have been playing this game where we keep liking each other's posts on Instagram. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time we're meeting sort of in person. Soon, soon to be in person. We're going to be talking about David's project, The Garden, which is a short film that they made recently that they're having a screening of in New York. How exciting is that? So excited. I I want to pee. So does that mean you're nervous about it? How are you feeling about it so close? Instead of processing through my own thoughts, I'm going to use other people's words because that's just the type of girl I am. Lady Gaga, she performed at the inauguration and the gentleman, the Marine who was like escorting, it was like, are you nervous? And she was like, oh, I'm nervous every time. I feel the exact same way. Like if I'm not nervous, something's not right. I should want to pee. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hear that from professionals all the time. If you don't feel a little bit nervous, do you fully care about what you're doing? Nervousness is just excitement at the end of the day. Two voices detected. Now analyzing speech patterns. Now is the time for you to share your fun fact. What have you prepared for us? I used to live in Australia. Perth, Australia. Are you from there? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) So Shout out to all of my products of divorce. I see you. Uh, I'm here for you. My dad moved to Australia because my stepmother, his new wife, was from there. And he was like, yeah, I'll move to Australia with you. So he moved there. And then I just lived there on and off for a couple of years. What was that like? I've actually never been to Australia. I had grown up in the desert partially, like dry, arid, just a little bit past the equator. I got there expecting like lush jungle, kangaroos, wallabies, dingoes, and all that. When I tell you I stepped off and I was like, are we still in Mexico? There's just more white people. That's it. I'm pretty dry and arid myself. I thought this was going to be completely different. I I was close to a beach, but it's a southern part of Australia. So it's like the coldest region, if I'm not mistaken. Not only is it the same, it's just a little colder. And all the seasons are flipped. That must have been a trip. For sure. And the toilets flush the other way. They talk about the U.S. as being strip malls. As far as I remember, they were just interconnected, like walking (laughs) from one into the other and being like, oh, this is a different one. Australia is just one continuous strip mall and also the Sydney Opera House. You know how strip malls are usually around like an Applebee's? The Mm -hmm. Sydney Opera House is the Applebee's. Task complete. The host of the program has been identified as... System unsuccessful in identifying guest speakers. Temporary profile for disappointed new Australian has been created. Part 1. Growing the Garden. Subsection Alpha. About David. Who are you? What do you do? What's your story? Wow, I thought I was prepared for that question. I like, (laughs) I even had like, I wrote stuff down. I was like, who am I? (laughs) 
<laughs> just a queer artist of color trying to tell a story, I guess. Yeah, most times when people are like, who are you? I'm like, pretty gay. I also have a podcast, if that's your thing. Literally, <laughs> like, listen to those. I like to describe myself as a multimedia artist now. This is a new discovery. You were raised Catholic, but you find that you're more spiritual and that you're very attracted to mythology. Can you go a little bit into that? Roman Catholic, specifically for me, because I am Latinx and from the South. My family on my mom's side, who predominantly raised me, they immigrated to El Paso from other parts of Mexico. They landed there. The first wave of non-white people in the white part of town, it's an isolated group. They kind of just band together and pray to God. Religion is something fierce in my family. A little too fierce for me sometimes. I'd be like, oh God, we got to do all this. Like, can't I just love God? It's like, no, no, no. You got to love God, but you also have to pay for it. You got to pay for his love. You have to feel guilty about being loved. It's this European ideal to me. Something in my culture wasn't lining up with my religion. So I always loved the Greek gods. I loved Egyptian gods as well. And not as quite as familiar with Eastern gods, but I've begun to broaden my horizons. Mythology tells me how I feel and why I feel. It's simple stories. I kind of distance myself from Catholicism. But what is mythology of other ancient cultures and people, but religion, you know? Essentially all the Bible is, it's Christian mythology. It's what they believe happened and what they use to structure their societies. It's society telling themselves how to behave and how to act. That's what I really like about it. David defines himself on their website as a freelance actor, choreographer, and fellow podcaster. Hey, boo. David has a podcast called FCK Me. Well, I call it something completely different. Uh, (laughs) I try to sound out the words, but anybody that knows me in person, they know that I'm big horny uh, most of the time. Being the openly queer and like sexually liberated person, a lot of the times I find myself having conversations with people in private about sex topics. I could save myself a lot of time if I cut out the middleman and just talk to you all at once. I know when I vibe with a certain fellow queer because there's just the refusal of shame. I've been someone ridden with shame and I've slept with plenty of people ridden with shame over being gay. So many people think that being queer is finally accepted and whatnot, but literally the other day I met the most self-hating queer I have ever encountered in real life. He approached me and my boyfriend, complete total strangers to him, and started talking about how gays don't contribute to society, that he doesn't believe in gay marriage, even though he's been with his boyfriend for 11 years. He doesn't think it's appropriate to adopt children because gays are usually sex addicts. And I'm like, who hurt wow, you? Wow, ignorant. Yeah, ignorant. <laughs> who hurt you, my friend? I've been called a faggot here, I want to say upwards of 20 times now. People pull over to say shit like that to me. My biggest question, me? Who has the time? I see big billboards that are anti-queer or anti-trans or something. I'm just like, someone had to design that. Someone had to pay money to put that on the billboard for a certain amount of time. I'm so busy all the time making sure I'm making ends meet. Volunteer-based hate. That's what that (laughs) is, baby. That is honors hours. You do get college credit for this, just so you know. (laughs) It tells you that these people have truly nothing better to do, Mm -hmm. and they have nothing but time on their hands. I found a little snippet of you talking about how you have two concepts in life, performing and activism. I have a big mouth. I'm very opinionated. I believe everybody deserves love and kindness, at least patience. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And when I do not see that, I feel the need to speak up about it. To me, it's just being a good person. People told me it's activism, so I guess that's just what I'm calling myself. For some reason, I'm noticing, especially in the liberal arts world, it's yeah, that's wrong, but I'm not doing it. So like, oh, it's not me, it's them. Passiveness, this passivity is, it's gross. I was in a production of Hair, just one of the featured dancers. Okay. Our director had this idea. 
idea to stage hair as if it was being set in a military prison. It was like military prisoners performing hair for other military prisoners. Concept on concept. It was right around the 2016 er uh, election. (laughs) 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 Um, Lots of cocks were involved. People were dicks. That's what that was. Mm -hmm. It was very volatile. Just awful hate speech, transphobia, homophobia, misogyny. Our director decided to encourage us to find a message and speak on it. As a cast, let's go to this protest and like have signs. Let's go to the women's march, but not actually vote. Like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what they were doing. I I gotta admit, I probably did disrupt the rehearsal process to be like, we can't just be acting about activists. It's not just doing a show that speaks on this. You have to understand what you're saying. Why are you going to the protest? I don't know if you ever saw Jagged Little Pill. I really liked the production, but at the same time, how the main character is introduced paints her as an activist. And I found it was a little surface level because that's not what the story was about. There was this moment they added where they take a solid beat to have this die-in. And it's the only moment in the show like that where they even come close to addressing the topic of school shootings. I was like, who the fuck is this for? It certainly wasn't for me or my community. All you're doing is like, oh, activism. You didn't say anything about why you did it or what that moment means. It's like all of our representatives kneeling in Kente cloth. First of all, do you know what that cloth represents? Do you know what you are wearing? Why is every team somehow looking over this? I don't understand. That's why I think there's so many plays and shows where like revolution is referenced, but the revolution's ambiguous. I feel as performers, we fall into this trap of the emotion behind the activism. You love to live in that space, but again, you have to understand what space you're occupying. I I just feel like performance are not connecting the dots. In part is because of how education around performance is often structured, and that's not their fault. A lot of the time but we're all over 18 we all can vote so there's really no excuse you have google subsection bravo getting ideas david you are a former drama major you were graduated from hofstra back in may 2020 right Mm -hmm. in the smack dab of the pandemic it says here you intended to do the play the serpent by jean-claude van italy is that yeah italy is how i say it i I believe it's french i'm not quite sure i'm not jean quite sure yeah Um, uh, fact check Jean-Claude Van Italy was a Belgian-born American playwright, performer, and theater teacher who recently died last September in 2021 at the age of 95. Including The Serpent, he's best known for his play American Hurrah on several translations of Chekhov plays. I had discovered it sophomore year of high school. It's a piece from 1969. It nice. was in that like, uh, nice, right? Nice. <laughs> it's it's in that like wave of experimental theater. It was movement based and it, it's written in vignettes. And it's all about the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve and the serpent. It goes through her eating the apple and then it transitions into Cain and Abel. It's this whole weird experimental movement work. They address the assassination of JFK. Like that's the prologue. There's a whole thing with like Jackie O screaming, four of them sitting in a car, if I'm not mistaken. And it's like one, two, one, two, one, two, four, scream. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. Oh, where did we go wrong? Like what happened? Let's take it back to the beginning. The beginning. (laughs) Oh, where did I put my keys? Let's go back to the Cambrian explosion. You know? Yeah. (laughs) I had gotten approval from faculty to direct it in a student rep festival. Is that something that usually happens every year at Hofstra? Yeah, it's every semester, really. 
Actually, it's predominantly a platform for the directing students that they have. But since it's an academic sphere, they do structure in a couple slots for other students. Like my freshman year, there was a student that did a movement tribute to Marcel Marceau and the art of mime. It's a means for students to flex what they've learned. We we didn't give you an opportunity, so here's your opportunity. Mm-hmm. Of course, since it was a rep, these were unlicensed, if I'm not mistaken. We can cut them as we see fit. So I was like, snip, snip. <laughs> we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not the, the Babylon. We're not doing that. At the time, I, I had just come out of an African dance class. And mm-hmm. I was very, very inspired by the mythology of Yoruba gods. What if I try and tell it through this African-inspired lens? I had the best intentions, but I definitely think that iteration might have been offensive. So I'm glad it didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. Because, you know, intent versus impact. I was literally like elbow deep in all this research of mythology and like figuring out how I wanted to choreograph. We had started rehearsals right as the pandemic hit. I remember it was like, what, March 7th, March 9th, around there. And I got to be honest with you, the pandemic knocked me on my ass, man. There's something to be said about having a performance field and not having in-person classes. I was like, wow, education always felt impersonal, but now it's impractical. I'm wasting thousands of dollars and I'm getting nothing. I'm learning nothing. I definitely stopped going to the Zoom classes and I stopped doing anything. I started watching a whole bunch of videos on Instagrams and one of my favorite choreographers, they posted, hey, we're going to release this song, record yourself dancing to the song. We're going to supercut it into a piece. I grabbed my boyfriend. I was like, come on, we're going into the field near your house and we're going to record. I was dancing around. And when I tell you, I felt whole again. Oh my God, I'm back, baby, I'm back. And that kind of just stayed with me for a while. And then on a personal note, I was going through like a sobriety thing, uh, this substance abuse issue that really was clouding my judgment. Uh, I had a rare moment of clarity uh, talking to my boyfriend and I was like, I think I'm gonna turn this into a short film. And he was like, what? <laughs> we were like, I literally sitting on this couch for the studio audience listening. There's a couch right behind me. When you get the live visual. Pea soup, like mossy green couch. It's so ugly, but it came with the place. So I'm not gonna, you I'm not know, gonna throw it away. Baby vomit green around that hue. But like if it was dry for like five days. Delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crusty, crusty mama. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do a film. Literally that night, sent a message to everybody. I think I worded it like, I had a plan, but at that point, I had literally just had the idea. I was like, yeah, you will get contracts. Meanwhile, I was like, I don't know how to write a contract. (laughs) (laughs) Opening up Microsoft Word, staring at it for an hour. Quite literally, but that's kind of my MO. I commit to something, say I'm going to do something, and then struggle bus to follow through. Subsection Charlie writing and casting the film. So The Garden is completely self-made, starring and created by David with the help of a cast of current and former Hofstra students, one of which was our star, Maddie Oldham. Woo! Maddie-o! What was the casting situation like? Luckily, since it was a rap that was through my school originally, I had had an audition process. I, I put everybody through a pretty rigorous movement process. I had a combination for them, I had sides for them to know, and they also had to come prepared with a movement piece exploring an animal. When I had sent the message to the cast, most everybody agreed to it. A couple people said no, so I was like, okay, there are some holes I have to fill. A lot of them just never responded to me. To me, you outright said no by never responding to a paid gig. I had a whole bunch of girls that had agreed to be in it, and of course, no boys that wanted to do anything movement-based or push themselves. So it was a predominantly female cast, but I think that it added such a great familial quality that I was not expecting. I just caught that word 
paid. So you paid your actors. So everybody got the same wage except for my camera guy, my director of photography, Mike, and my composer. They've gotten like at least 400 at this point because they've also done literally triple the work that everybody else did. Everybody got $120. I, I think it's important to include amounts because as somebody that self-financed this, that is so important to me. Mm-hmm. Equitable wages for everybody, equitable wages for the arts is paramount because this pandemic made me feel like we don't matter, but point blank period, we do. I don't think it was enough. I am very blessed that they took a week off for $120. Plus, like, I, I fed them as well. I also rented out a Airbnb house across the street from mine. The entire film is movement-based. You have no dialogue in it? Yeah, no dialogue whatsoever. So the how only... did, Yeah, how did you script that? I, I like to consider myself a dancer, so as a dancer, music is how we move. We have to find the right music. I was trained as a violinist, so I know music, or I can at least read it. That was a five-month process of me playing the same 30 songs in different orientations. It has to have a 12-second crossfade, and that has to come in at that. This has to end in a key that begins with the next one. So I found the music, and then I was like, okay, I got my soundscape that tells this story. And at some point I had decided, let's just do the opening scene, Adam and Eve, Temptation, and all that. Unbeknownst to me, I was really trying to say my own story, and I didn't know how to acknowledge it or talk about it. It's almost like it was an emotion you could only communicate in this one way. So many people have their own thing. Like with my brain, I need to start with words. It's not just how the words are written. It's how they sound together. That's crazy to me. As a violinist, like if your body is doing it, the sound just happens. There's that adage in theater, oh, when you don't have the right words to say, you sing it. I believe that when you don't know the melody, you dance it. It's one of the purest forms of art because it's the physical body as the tool, the instrument, the paintbrush. If my body is going, I am just trusting that those words are coming out, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Did you fully flesh out the script beforehand or? Oh, I definitely had it fleshed out beforehand since it was something I had never done before. I started with sketches. The words don't really matter to me. The image does. So I was drawing them on flashcards. They looked really hokey pokey. (laughs) Holly Hobby, Hodgepodge. It was really bad. (laughs) And then I started typing out the image I wanted. I essentially was creating a shot list. I had done a reading of a friend's play. I was asking him, like, how did you go about writing everything? And he was like, anytime you have any three of your brain cells buzzing, you need to like stop, drop, and write. I kind of took that to the max. I strategically have placed buckets of pens throughout my house with like journals everywhere. My notes app is a mess. It's so full. And they're all like, in all caps, I'm yelling at myself through my notes. I feel like a lot of the time people feel that they have to do something with a certain approach because that's how school bangs it into you. Oh, this is the way you do this. This is your toolbox. It's like, no, mama, mama. I am my toolbox. You just need to give me tools. I'm literally paying you to give me what I need. Don't give me what you think I need. They give us all these tools, but then don't give us the ability to understand them like no mama the instructions are in swedish oh you failed your class so can you give us more money to try yeah, and do so the same can you thing fail again, again? <laughs> like no can we get a second try on that with you hippie pink ferret apologizes for the interruption it is time for the services hourly scheduled test of the emergency advertisement broadcasting system your program dada or nothing will resume following its conclusion This concludes the test. Resuming program. Part 2. Making a movie.
Subsection Delta, life on set. How'd you choose a location? How did you procure that location? I kind of went hardcore with this. I went location scouting and luckily right near me is this park called Lake Girard Park. There, it's like a pond river thing that almost connects to the ocean and it, it's just behind all these houses. There's a slope down with all these trees to this grassy little area that the ducks live in. I thought this was just a little like duck poo area but it extends behind all these houses. These poor ducks, I do not know what people are feeding them but it, <laughs> it was clearly awful. I was walking through there one day and I was like, I had no idea this was here. And if you angle it correctly, it really does look like you're just in a forest. So I was like, this is it. We got multiple angles, multiple vantage points. So <laughs> let's call it a day. It didn't cost you anything to be in the location, um, did it? I, I mean, it, it should have, but I <laughs> I went through every channel. I emailed the city of Rehoboth. I emailed the city and parks, chamber of commerce. I emailed everybody. I was like, do I need a permit? Nobody answered me. So I said, I guess you guys can eat my booty because I'm setting up camp and you can't tell me anything because I have contacted everybody. And what? It's a public park. You tell me I can't come take pictures in costume? What was it like filming? I was adamant that this was a summer camp type experience. And that mattered to me for some reason. So I was like, okay, we're all going to be in the same house. We're all going to sleep together. We're all going to eat together. And we're all going to get wasted together. Was there anything that you found particularly challenging about the filming? I will not eat until I believe my job is done. Not only am I considering my performance, I'm considering everybody else's. I'm considering my director of photography had never done dance and movement before. So he was learning as he was going. Bleed for your art if you want to, but do not expect other people to, which is something I struggle with. For me, it's so extreme. It's like, this is it or it isn't to you. And I forget the other people, it's it to them, but a different way. The first day we filmed, I like forgot to let everybody eat. We like filmed for eight hours and I was like, oh, you guys are hungry? <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm so <laughs> Why didn't you say anything? And they were like, well, you were going. And I was like, oh yeah, I need paper plates. I need plastic gloves. I need gaff tape. I need a needle and thread on location. I learned just how much you have to really be prepared. I was aware of that, but I did not understand the scope of what you need to be prepared for. Yeah, some of my research says you went as far as to sew and hand-dye the costumes. Yeah, That's every crazy. single costume piece is hand-dyed. That is absolutely crazy. I have a wonderful relationship to my college costumer and costume designer. Her name is Meredith Van Skoy. I love you so much. You've given me the world. She really instilled, you need to know what you're wearing, how to wear it, why you're wearing it, and what it can do for your performance. I'm discovering myself as an artist expressed through the medium of fashion because I think it's an art form and it's very exciting to me lately. I was like, I have to do the costumes. They have to be mine. So I ordered all these white costumes. I ordered them online and I also went to my local Michaels and got fabric dye. So I was like in my kitchen boiling pants and skirts on my stove for hours like a babushka, <laughs> like with a pot. Very, very bubble toil and trouble. I had this aesthetic where it was birthplace cradle of life. Oh, it's got to be the right type of fabric. It's got to flow almost like they made it themselves. I wanted everything to be nude. Tribal influence for sure. And I don't think tribal is a scary word. I think it's scary when people try to come from it from a post-colonial standpoint. I think pe white people forget that the 
uh, hello, you, you people had tribes too. Like there mm-hmm. were tribes of Vikings, there were tribes of pagans, but it was essentially a small community. I've read a lot of criticism where the term has gotten muddied because a lot of people use the term tribe to infantilize the yeah. people. Oh my God, yeah. Oh yeah, the, these these savages, these this tribe. It's like, no, 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 no. This complex culture, this complex community with a, an entire society that you do not understand. And these are people, you know, you cannot reduce them to this concept, this notion of something from long ago. Like, no, there are tribes of Native Americans and we are currently sitting on their lands. It was very important to me that the look of this film be indicative of where we all kind of come from. I'm interested to hear about, especially since it was a pure movement piece, how you translated your vision to your actors. Did you inform the cast of the themes? I had received advice from two different directors I really admire, and they said different things completely. One of them was like, yeah, share it when you're ready, but do it in a moment that it will benefit everybody. Clearly not at the beginning of the process because it's going to over-influence. Then it sets up these expectations of like, I got to do this great because this is David's story. This is your story as well. This is our story because we're creating this together. I just happen to have a narrative emotionally with it that you may not have. Another director, Max Searcy, who will come back later, he was like, do not tell them whatsoever. That is your motivation and your material. But we started rehearsing. It was like the second day of filming, maybe watching everybody create and build this. It bubbled out of me like I could not control it. I was standing on my front porch on the stoop of my house telling them, guys, this is this. I don't quite remember what I said, but I remember sobbing and everybody just looking at me and loving on me through their eyes. It was one of the most touching moments I've ever had. They they were all like, it's okay, we got you. This was the atmosphere we were trying to create and we were implementing it. It's like we all shotgunned an emotional Red Bull and then we were good for the week. If anything, it cemented our dynamic. I think it added some stakes to what we were doing, which I sometimes feel icky about. I didn't mean to use it as a motivator. I feel like a criticism of the piece will be that. Even if you're open and so ready to talk about this baggage, is it useful for that actor to use? Is that going to enhance their performance? When it comes to me and like my opinions, oh yeah, I'll let you know. But like sometimes some emotions, I don't feel that they serve me, but they do. They're literally what I use to work. By the way, thank you for being so comfortable for talking about your personal experience. I so appreciate that. Subsection Echo. The editing process. How did the editing go? How did you make those cuts? First, we had a wonderful cut. It was a wonderful first effort. And at the time, I was like, oh, this is it. Michael Jackson's, this is it. We had some fine tuning to do. But me and Mike talked about coming back in a month with more of the score ready to time things up better. And he came back and was like, I got to be honest with you. I'm having a hard time having fun with this anymore. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> like, somebody has been honest with me because I was looking at the footage and it was great. But it was the opening and the finale that made it great. We did a lot of oneers, one takes. That's how we filmed because that's how I reinforced the choreography. So we had a whole bunch of one takes stapled together as the first cut. Looking back, that's too coherent for an allegory for drugs. And it was also 27 minutes. I, I want to submit this as a short film. And a lot of the times they suggest either 20 to 25 because a lot of festivals will do three in an hour. We just went in and snip, snip, snipped. And as we started going, the pace got faster faster, it got more frantic. And it was very like, oh, this is a drug trip, which again, I was realizing I was telling my story. Adam and Eve clearly stand for me and my partner. And I casted Ginger when I'm dating a Ginger. I was watching this like a week ago. I was like, oh, oh, he's a redhead too. I'm sure to everybody else, it seemed like this beautifully intentional work. But in me, I was just like, I just like Gingers. (laughs) 
they're both hot. Like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> How did you decide something needed to be cut? How did you decide when something started? My editor, he's also a writer. He was like, oh, you have a nonlinear story. You don't have to be sequential about this. To create it, I needed to have that sequence. I needed to know where we were going. Now that we have the story, you can really play around with how you tell it. It's your story. You could start at the end and then go back to the middle and end with the beginning, you know? Like, you could do whatever you want. Everybody knows the story. I don't have to say it exactly how it happened. We we started inserting clips and footage that didn't necessarily say anything, but it told the story. Um, our genius director of photography, our cameraman, we were just walking in the state park, walking to wherever we were going to go film. And he had the camera going and we sped it up and started splicing it into sections of the story. And now it reads as like a rush of green mm. just throughout the movement. Thematically, I was telling the actors, the openings group number is everybody worshiping around this tree, trying to encourage it to grow using our angel powers, our magic, our ritual. We could cut to either a continuation of the movement we were just doing or something that's evocative of that grass growing. Like we just saw a little bean sprout shoot. Somebody needs to be lifted. What is the thought process of the story rather than what happened chronologically? Part three, now in theaters. Subsection Foxtrot, the premiere venue. The Garden is going to premiere on Monday, November 15th at The Space at Irondale in Brooklyn, New York. It is a former church, I heard. Talk to me, why did that space speak to you and how did you go about getting that space? The space speaks to me because everybody I know works there. (laughs) 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 My alma mater, Mofstra, we have a wonderful relationship with this space in particular. Uh, A lot of students have graduated to immediately get staffed there, work through there, and then use this as a platform to go elsewhere. It's opened the doors for a lot of people and alumni kind of just keep opening the doors for the next class and Max Searcy who I mentioned earlier actually is staffed at Irondale and throughout the process of me telling him about this project he offhandedly mentions if you ever want to turn this into like a production let me know we can do it at Irondale I bookmarked that for later that was like in April save that on my mental chrome browser as we were getting close to finishing the film I was like hey what's the likelihood of booking this space and he said well how much is your budget and out of respect to him I, I will leave that vague because he is helping me so much. I cannot sing his praises enough. Yes, artists helping artists. It's just a cool space. It's Brooklyn, so it's got that kind of like grungy, punky attitude. And it, it's it got like Leviticus, like these passages on the wall. There's the mural of the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus just in the center. And that's where the screen's going to be. Original paint job. It's weathered. They have not fixed it. It is not looking good. But also like same, you know, <laughs> like oh my God. it has not been touched up. It's not looking good. I'm like, how did you say verbatim? my old Tinder profile. Subsection golf advice. Do you have any advice for art majors that are just about to graduate and enter the art world? Oh yeah, just do it. Like, (laughs) Stop talking about it. Do it. Having the genius moment does not make you a genius. Carrying it out makes you the genius. I had all these ideas and it's hard to do them myself but at a certain point you just have to start doing them. Making my own clothes and costumes was something I had always talked about in college. I'm gonna turn this. Look, honey, RuPaul's Drag Race, here I come. Like critiquing design shows and then never designing myself. I have to actually do this now. You just stop talking about it and just do it. That is all you have to do. Find reasons to be doing what you want to be doing. 
any reason is good enough. I have this blue paint that I need to get rid of because I'm cleaning my house. Okay, great. You have a reason for it. Go make a painting. Yeah, like, yeah. it can uh, be- Picasso had a blue period, mama. Like, do it. Like, hello. <laughs> yes, that first step is scary. And I acknowledge that because every first step involved in this process has been terrifying for me. I kind of just had to do it. Now that you've made this incredible triumph, congratulations on your Thank film. You. That's so exciting. What's on the horizon for you? Any goals? Any wants? Any dreams? Any hopes? Oh, a five-year plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me your five-year plan, please. I have three major works going forward. I would like to tour and do 50 movement pieces in 50 national landmarks in each state. A representative of that community have this catalog of pieces that I kind of curate. I want to be sustainable about it, so I am trying to apply for grants. Before that is my first scripted piece. I want to do Mackers, but in like a haunted house. Rent a cabin and do a Sleep No More inspired heavy movement Shakespeare work. And then the one I'm really hoping to get off its feet by next summer is I want to do an all queer Orpheus and Eurydice. This one is Alexander McQueen and the 1975 collaborate on a disco inspired hell. That's like what I'm going for. Girl, it's, save uh, my card for that. That I'm yeah. in for. I'm going to have auditions both in person and video submissions because I need mask identifying people and guys. I need a predominantly male cast. So please anybody audition. <laughs> Personality data downloaded. Now archiving in the collective unconscious. What are some of your plugins? How can people get in touch with you and follow you? They can find me at Wine Daddio on all platforms. Twitter, Instagram, Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Pokemon Go. W-I-N-E-D-A-D-D-I-O. You can also find my podcast, which is F-C-K-M-E-P-O-D on Twitter and Instagram. And we're talking about the garden, so you can find the garden at the Garden of Productions on Instagram. And I am spearheading a production company based off of this. I want to collaborate with people. So if anybody wants to ever reach out and work on something, I know I can make my dreams come true. Let's see if I can do somebody else's. Thank you again, David, so much for appearing. I really appreciate all your wonderful insight into this process. I feel like I learned a lot. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Say goodbye, David. Goodbye, David. <laughs> <laughs> End of record. We here at Hippie Pink Ferret appreciate your business. Please enjoy the following state-mandated credit sequence. Dot All or Nothing is a production of Hippie Pink Ferret. And I've been Jojo, your host. Thanks again to my guests, sources, and links, such as one to a transcript, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, keep up to date with our studio on Facebook or Instagram at Hippie Pink Ferret. That is H-I-P-P-I-E Pink Ferret. If you really like what you heard, rate our show or leave us a comment. I do produce everything myself right now, so whatever means you have to support the field of edutainment is very much appreciated. If you really, really like what you what you heard, consider becoming a patron or making a one-time PayPal donation. You'll get a shout-out, unlock exclusive stuff, and every bit of your generosity allows me to keep the lights on and continue providing content. Custom music by Alec Rice. Additional songs and sound effects provided by Descript, Envato Elements, Mixkit, VoiceChanger.io, VoiceGenerator.io, and Zapsplat.com. All audio used is free to use or properly licensed. Again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. Remember to find reasons to have art in your life. Brooks, sorry, that's my cat. That's Brooks. Oh my god, I'm a huge cat person. Okay, hold on, let me grab. Let me grab. Oh,
Oh, bruh. This is Brooks. Oh my God, shut up. He's from Louisiana. He's a Southern boy. Oh my God, what a beautiful boy. Hello, Brooks. He's got six toes on each paw. So we like to call him Brooks and his 12 dancing toes. He's a Hemingway cat, I think is what they call him, which... I'm not a huge Hemingway fan. I just Googled six toe cats and that's what popped up. Yeah, your cat is just writing literature in the back, like, taking a swig. Well, 